Are tennis shoes more than basketball shoes responsible for today's sneaker culture? We'll get into that and some more things this week on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights. You can call me the Iceman. You can call me Matty Ice. I don't care what you call me. I am just happy that you are here. I hope that this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. And I am so very, very appreciative of everybody that takes the time out to listen to this show. This community has grown over the last few months, and I am so very thankful for that. I feel like the more time that goes by, I'm talking to more and more of you. And I've heard from more and more of you, and it makes me feel good to know that more and more people not only are finding the show, but are connecting with the words that are coming out of my mouth. Because I think in sneakers, sometimes, even though it's a large community, we can feel very isolated. And so that's why I try to do some different things that other sneaker people are not doing. I try to talk about myself a little bit more. I try to talk about topics that maybe broaden the spectrum a little bit in terms of who could relate to the show, even though it is sneaker focused at the end of the day. And even though it's for people who love sneakers, it doesn't necessarily have to just be sneaker only. We're all humans in the end. Last episode, I gave you my review of Air. I really, really enjoyed it. And even though I saw it a little bit late, I don't think it really matters because I do believe that this movie was not meant for sneakerheads. I think it was meant for a lot of different people, much like I'm trying to do on this show. I think that that movie was meant for people who are all across the spectrum. It runs the gamut of people that the demographic was trying to hit. I think that they did a great job of telling this story. And I think that they did justice to this story in the way that they told it. The people that they had in this movie, the performances, the writing, everything worked out and I left that movie feeling really good and feeling like they did justice to the story of the Air Jordan 1. Lately, though, Nike has been trying to find different ways to diversify their sneaker portfolio because, as we all know, Jordans and Dunks have become oversaturated, and I think that they are becoming stale. When I did the episode about Jordans and Dunks being stale, I actually got some people who just responded with, yes, they are. And to me, that's telling. For somebody to not even listen to the episode but answer that fundamental question, it lets you know that those silhouettes are becoming a little bit stale. I think the other thing that has happened here is that I think people misconstrue the idea of what kind of sneaker has defined sneaker culture. The Air Jordan 1 obviously started a lot of this in terms of putting sneakers on the map because of Michael Jordan becoming his own brand and the Air Jordan 1 standing out so much. But I think when you go all the way back in the history books and you try to define what actually started sneaker culture in the first place, one could make an argument that tennis shoes, shoes that actually are worn to play tennis, could actually be given that nod. And Nike has been trying to find out different ways to, again, diversify their content portfolio. And one of the things that they're doing is pulling back into the vault of actual tennis shoes. And a couple of weeks ago, they released the Mac Attacks, the OG John McEnroe Mac Attacks. And I think that that is a sign of things to come because they have to dip into the deep pools that they have of silhouettes that have come out in order to keep sneaker culture happy and buoy. They have to keep making that dollar. And I think the only way you're going to do that is if you start pulling out historical silhouettes that the people maybe aren't as familiar with and giving them today's aesthetic, today's materials and all that. So Nike has definitely gone down that road, putting out the OG, the smoke gray colorway, and people ate them up and they sold out. And this is, to me, indicative of what sneaker culture is today, because this shoe has a long history since 1984 
but many people in sneaker culture probably don't even know what it is, don't care what it is, and just got it because it was brand spanking new to them. Obviously, getting John McEnroe and Travis Scott to collaborate on the marketing for it was a great, great idea because you're taking old school, new school, putting them together. There are people who remember John McEnroe. A lot of people know Travis Scott for his sneaker work. And to me, it was a match made in heaven. And so they did a great job. They sold a lot of shoes and that is history now. But my question to you is, do you actually know what the history of tennis shoes are? If you have parents or grandparents of a certain age, then you have heard tennis shoes that refer to any type of lifestyle shoe. Anytime you put on a shoe that is a sneaker that is not some type of a dress shoe, it's called a tennis shoe. I know a lot of people who say that. My mother-in-law says that a lot. You have a lot of tennis shoes, when in reality, I have zero shoes that I play tennis in. But that's nitpicking and semantics. But at one time, tennis shoes were called that because they were actually used to play tennis. And I think the colloquial nature of how people call sneakers tennis shoes is directly indicating the fact that tennis shoes had a bigger part of sneaker history than people realize. Basketball shoes today are mostly known what for what sneaker culture is. And that makes sense because obviously Michael Jordan played basketball. Tons of basketball stars have come and gone in terms of player edition shoes. And there have been a lot of shoes in basketball that have been a huge part of sneaker culture. It's why many of the retros that come out are actually basketball shoes. But I think what Nike is doing and what other brands are probably going to start doing with the success of the Mac attacks is they're gonna start putting out their tennis shoes a little bit more frequently. And I think that sneaker culture is gonna eat them up. They're gonna have to try this trick until they run out of ideas and then they're gonna have to try something else. So right now it happens to be tennis shoes. But I wanted to give a little bit of history. And this sort of goes back to the old school idea of what this podcast was about in the first place. I used to do some historical work and kind of talk about shoes of yesteryear with you. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that because you may be sitting there, hell, you might even be wearing your Mac attacks right now and you might look at them and say, I don't actually know what the hell these are all about. I just know that they're fire. Just know that there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're listening now, hopefully by the end of the episode, you get a little bit more of an education on tennis shoes in general. The thing about tennis shoes is they date back to even the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I did an episode a long time ago about sneakers and how sneakers were worn by thugs because they didn't make any noise when you moved. And so you're able to sort of move about the cabin and be able to do what it is that you do without being detected. But another area in which tennis shoes were actually used was by the US Navy. Because the slippery nature of all the decks of these ships, you needed a shoe that was going to prevent you from slipping and possibly falling into the ocean. To me, that seems like a good functional use for a shoe. I don't know about you. I'm not really big on falling into the vast ocean and being left behind in the ocean, probably to get eaten by a shark. And the thing about the shoes in the early 1900s is they were made of two materials. They were canvas on top and they had rubber soles. And that was pretty much the staple until the 1960s. And that was Keds, the US rubber company, and the Converse Rubber Company with Converse All-Stars. They were called Plimsoll. They were canvas and rubber, and that was pretty much the staple. Not only did people play tennis in those, people played basketball in those, and people went running in those. So think about that. Just rubber outsoles and a canvas top was basically the athletic shoe of choice for what? Damn near 70 years? That's a little bit crazy. It wasn't until in 1964 that things kind of shifted a little bit. Now, this is a shoe that everybody knows about because I think I even talked about it as something that everybody should have in their collection because it's a great everyday shoe. But the Adidas Stan Smiths, did anybody really know that Stan Smith was a tennis player? And that in 1964, his shoes, which introduced leather on top of a tennis shoe for the first time, 
were actually shoes that he won two grand slams with. I did not know that until doing the research for this, and I feel bad for not knowing it. But to me, that even further drives the point home of this episode. And so Stan Smith's, while now a staple of sneakers, and you can go out and pretty much get a Stan Smith anytime you want, they go with pretty much everything, and they're seen as almost stylish now. They were a tennis shoe. And so they're directly related to how we got here today. Think about it. A Stan Smith is something that people say is a staple for a collection, but it was actually used for tennis. I thought that was a really cool thing. 1984 is when the Mac Attacks debuted. Now, John McEnroe was a different kind of tennis player. Tennis is a sport, to me, that's always seen as very prim and proper. It's a sport in which people are expected to act a certain way because of the origins of the sport. I believe tennis was originated by the Brits, and if you think about a lot of the quintessential ideas of how British people act, tea time, things of this nature, that's kind of what tennis embodies. And if you go to Wimbledon, there's an aura, there's a mystique about how you're supposed to act there, the kind of champion you're supposed to be. John McEnroe was basically the opposite of all of that. He was tennis's bad boy before bad boys probably were even a thing in sports. I'm not even sure. All I know is that if you make a Mount Rushmore of bad boys in sports, John McEnroe has got to be on top of that list. There's no way that he is not. The way that he talked to judges, the way that he conducted himself. A lot of people give a lot of shit to a lot of tennis players today, and I'm thinking of Novak Djokovic, and I think it's interesting because he plays tennis very similarly to the way John McEnroe played tennis, but John McEnroe was doing it at a time in which tennis was actually still seen as that, that genteel game, and you weren't supposed to act that way. A lot of people didn't like that because societally, the way that he acted was also kind of the antithesis of what we expected out of people. But now we expect our athletes to be fiery. We expect them to be people that are big personalities. And John McEnroe kind of started that. So that shoe comes out. And while it doesn't necessarily break the bank, it's something that puts a shoe on another person. And it's around the same time as the Air Jordan 1. But John McEnroe didn't have the same appeal. The Nike Mac attack still was going on the same kind of look that a lot of sneakers had. And it was bland. And while I think the OG looks great today, it wasn't something that was going to vault sneakers into the stratosphere. But tennis players continue to get more and more shoes. And I think of two more. I think about Andre Agassi with the AirTech Challenge 2. And I think about that lava pink or whatever the colorway is. Imagine being in tennis. He had the long hair. He had the bandana. And then he comes out to Roland Garros with that shoe. Or imagine him stepping out into Wimbledon in that shoe. That's amazing. And that shoe was completely different than every other tennis shoe that had come along. Remember, we just talked about the Stan Smiths. So now compare that shoe to the Stan Smiths. Not even close. You had the Air Trainer 2s as well, the Chlorophylls. Those were shoes that were out at the same time. And I know that a lot of different athletes were wearing them, but tennis players were actually wearing them. Those were almost like futuristic looking designs for a sport that was very married to their past. I also talked about Michael Chang a few episodes ago in relation to the Nike Pump Omni. That Nike pump was amazing when the pump had been traditionally a basketball on that shoe, and this was a tennis ball on that shoe. And he wasn't somebody that when you looked at him, you thought, wow, this guy actually moves the needle in terms of marketing. Michael Chang was sort of a nerdy looking tennis player. That's kind of what he looked like. But that shoe made him cool. And he was the best tennis player at the time, or one of the best tennis players at the time in the early 90s. And those things were fire. I wish they would release those for tennis players now because, man, those looked amazing. With the actual tennis ball, oh, you can't even get any better than that. And this all lends itself to today. There aren't as many shoes that come out specifically for tennis players. Actually, I'm not even sure how many of them are out there to begin with. But now what you see is that basketball has overtaken this. And basketball can thank tennis for this. 
because while Michael Jordan kind of started sneaker culture with the Air Jordan 1, we've now seen that there have been a lot of different places in which tennis players have been a part of this ascension of sneakers. And I think tennis players have had a little bit more ability to be personable because they are singular entities that play a sport. Michael Jordan was definitely larger than the game, but just about every other basketball player was part of a team. So I can understand the mentality that happened with all these companies that was portrayed in air to which you're just now part of this family. They weren't thinking about how was the brand going to elevate the individual. It was the opposite way around. And I think tennis players have the ability because they are individuals and because they can be themselves 100% of the time, they rise and fall with themselves only. They're not able to blame any teammates. They're only able to blame themselves because it's their preparation and their play that actually makes it whether they're successful or not. And so all these guys ended up having their shoes. And you know what? They're shoes that are getting retro now. I know the Pump Omni, the tennis ball actually isn't coming out. But still, I think that when you look at all the shoes that are coming out, the Air Tech Challenge, the Air Trainer 2s, the Mac Attacks, the Stan Smiths are a constant now. All of these started a lot of this and have buoyed this culture. And so I think it's good to know this history because tennis, while maybe not as cool a game as a lot of people want it to be, it's kind of like golf in that way. It still isn't seen as super popular. It has a huge following and a very, very fervent following, but it's not a sport that young people are like, ooh, that's cool. I want to be a tennis player. Basketball definitely has that aura. So I understand why people gravitate toward basketball shoes in terms of their history, but tennis shoes are really where it's at. And I'm glad to be able to give you a very, very small piece of history. So I implore you to just Google history of tennis shoes, history of tennis shoe timeline, best tennis shoes of all time. You're going to find a lot of great articles and find a lot of silhouettes that you probably didn't even know that you had forgotten about or didn't even know that you needed. Release of the week, where I like to highlight a shoe that has caught my eye. It might be hype. Most of the time, it's not going to be. It's just a shoe that I think that you should know about. And while we talked about tennis shoes this time, we're going to focus in on a basketball shoe. And I love the Air Jordan 2 lows these days. I feel like what they're doing is amazing. And honestly, they're so simple. Somehow, I used to think of them as like leisure, leisure shoes and like those shoes that are very, very tacky that Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation would wear. And while they did look like that, somehow in today's iteration of them, they don't feel that way. And there's so many of them that look so great. My wife has a pair downstairs, the UNC to Shies, and she loves them. And they look great on her. And I'm just enamored with them. So this time, the release of the week is the UNC Jordan 2 Lows that are coming out on July 8th. Again, how can you go wrong with white and UNC blue? There's no way you can go wrong with that. It's a classic look. It's a it's a color that has actually been on Air Jordans forever. It looks great on just about every single Air Jordan. I can't think of an Air Jordan in which the UNC color doesn't make it look good and doesn't sell. This is a great one. Will it sell out? Probably not because Jordan 2s aren't really selling out, which means that you hopefully should be able to pick it up for a very, very easy cop. It's got that summer look. And honestly, I think it's a great looking shoe. It's going to be perfect for summertime. And it's a shoe that you're going to love. So that is my release of the week. But I ask you, how much about tennis did you know? And how much about tennis shoe history did you know in terms of sneaker culture? Get in touch with the show. Instagram at FireFootwearPod is the handle to find the show. If you want to find the show on Twitter at FireFootwearPod is the handle. If you want to find me personally at Maddie Ice Freights is the handle on Twitter to do that. If you want to email questions or comments to the show, FireFootwearPod at gmail.com is the way to do that. 
If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, do not forget to hit follow and rate. It keeps the show growing and charting and it keeps this community growing. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. And please don't forget to support the Maddie Ice Media Network, MaddieIceMedia.com for all the other podcasts that we have, including this one and Iceman and Coach. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And I'm happy as always that you have taken a little bit of your time this week to listen to me talk about some sneakers. I'll talk to you all next week, folks. This is Fire Footwear. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.